In some ways, we can thank Paul. Uh, We can thank the Corinthians that they had a problem in Corinth because there's really nowhere else in Paul's letters where he talks about communion so extensively. And it's important that we keep in mind that he's correcting a problem. It's not as though Paul said, oh, and now let me teach on communion, sort of my communion 101. This is communion correction. This is remedial communion. Uh, And Paul is trying to address some some problems that he's heard about in the Corinthian church. Let me say a few preliminary things about communion, and then I'll get into um, four points that I want to pull out of this passage of Scripture. First, communion is for baptized disciples of Jesus. Okay, Remember in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's a disciple. And so you should not take communion if you're not baptized or if you're not in an ongoing intentional relationship with God in which you are trying through his help to put his teachings into practice. If that's not your intention, you should not partake of communion. It is for those who've entered into covenant relationship with God, and it is their stated intention, however weakly, however faultingly they're pursuing it, to learn from Jesus and from his people how to put Jesus' teachings into practice. Amen? The second thing, it's one of two identity markers that Jesus gave his people in the New Testament. One of two things that we do to identify with him and identify ourselves as his followers. Of course, the other is baptism. And as Paul says, in baptism, we're putting our faith in Jesus and we're connecting ourselves to him in faith. And the Father connects us to the whole course of Jesus' ministry, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension at the Father's right hand. And some of the most profound and mysterious promises are connected with the fact that through faith, our lives are tied up with him and hid with him in Christ. We sang about some of that tonight. That's baptism. Through baptism and faith, one joins the family of God. And through this meal, we come again and again to renew our initial faith and trust in him and renew through his grace, our intention to put his teachings into practice. Notice Jesus gave us two things that are very physical, right? There, it's water and your body, and it's bread and wine. It's very tangible physical things. Jesus took on flesh, and he gave us, as it were, fleshly things to engage with our relationship with him. So, or third, excuse me, communion is not an achievement. Just like baptism isn't an achievement. Sometimes in trying to discern when somebody's ready for baptism, you can send the wrong message that, well, you're not morally ready. No one is morally ready for baptism. You're morally ready for baptism when you realize you're not morally ready for baptism, but you believe in the gospel message and you want to attach yourself to Jesus in faith. So baptism is not an achievement. Right? It's not something we accomplish. It's something we trust that God accomplishes through the work of his Holy Spirit and because of faith in him. And you don't achieve the table. Does that make sense? Now, Paul's going to talk about examining ourselves when we come to the table. And we'll, I want to unpack that in a minute. But it's never, all right, let me get morally good enough to come to the table. Never will you be. Thanks be to God. But you can come by his grace to receive his grace. 
All right, and it is, again, this constant covenant renewal that we partake of whenever we come to this table. Finally, just a note on what people call it. I don't know what tradition you grew up in. Uh, In my tradition, we called it communion. Um, A lot of people call it the Lord's Supper. And some people call it the Eucharist. And guess what? All three are biblical terms. All right, communion itself comes from 1 Corinthians, not in these verses. But Paul says that, don't you know that uh, we have communion or fellowship in the body and blood of Jesus? And that's where we get that expression, communion. It's that Greek word that many people know, koinonia. Paul, in this passage himself, calls it the Lord's Supper. It's the meal that the Lord Jesus himself gave us. And finally, Eucharist. Not many people know this, but when the scripture says, uh, when Paul says he took the bread and giving thanks, the Greek word is eukaristeo, I give thanks, all right? Eucharist, so it means thanksgiving, thus the connection to yesterday, okay? Thanksgiving, and so Eucharist is also a biblical term for it. So again, let me make four summary points out of this text. And the first, I'm going to use a word that's a bad word to some of you, and so I apologize ahead of time, but the word is tradition. Somebody gasped. Who was that? Somebody gasped. Okay. Tradition. The first thing I want to say is communion is a tradition established by the Lord Jesus himself. Now, for some people, tradition is a bad word, but I want to suggest that there's tradition and then there's tradition. There's human tradition, the tradition of men, and then there's the tradition that God himself establishes. Amen? Actually, the word that we get tradition from is used in this passage when Paul says, I received from the Lord. That word means it was handed over to me. And I handed it over to you. That's what tradition means in its original sense. And Paul is simply saying, I didn't come up with communion, guys. Jesus did. And he handed over to the original apostles, and it was handed over to me, and I'm handing it over to you. And here we are 2,000 years later, it having been handed over to us. So tradition in this sense is not a bad word. And I think we have to be discerning about tradition. Yes, There are merely human traditions that constantly threaten to get in the way of God's teaching. But that doesn't mean that tradition, he doesn't hand over tradition. And I would suggest baptism and communion are some of those traditions. Remember, Jesus says, hey, he's rebuked for breaking the traditions of men. And he says, yes, yes, yes. But you overturn God's teaching or his traditions for your own traditions. When you say, oh, well, the Bible says honor your father and mother, but if you devote this money to God, you don't have to honor your father and mother. All right? So Jesus, this is something he gave us, and it's a remarkable thing. We're his students, and he said, when you gather, I want you to do this, and whenever we do it, we're obeying him. All right? It's an act of faith. Certainly, traditions can become empty, but we should never do what Jesus told us to do in an empty fashion. Amen? We come in trust and obedience to him because he told us to do it. The second thing, Paul says earlier in Corinthians that it is a sharing in the body and the blood of Jesus. It is communion in his body and blood. This is from 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. 
the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? All right, the word here, again, is that Greek word koinonia that you've heard before. Sharing in, participation, partnership in. The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. I want to say very clearly that we believe as a church that communion is, as some theologians have called it, a means of grace. Jesus told us to do it. He told us it was a sharing in his body and blood. And we believe that there is a unique grace by the power of his Holy Spirit that comes to us in this meal that he commanded us to partake in. All right, we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is really present in this meal. Now, many, many Christians for a long time have almost killed one another over debates about how that takes place. And I'm not here to answer how that takes place. I'm simply here to assert that the Lord himself says it happens, that he meets us here at this table. I will quote this uh, hymn by Charles Wesley, uh, who says, it says this, Oh, the depth of love divine, the unfathomable grace, who shall say how bread and wine God into us conveys? How the bread his flesh imparts, how the wine transmits his blood, fills his faithful people's hearts with all the life of God. In this hymn, Charles Wesley doesn't go on to answer how exactly this happens, but to celebrate that it does in faith and as a gift. And again, if you want to ask me how, I will say the Holy Spirit does it. And that's the way I'm going to leave it. It is intended, therefore, to deepen our relationship with him. It is intended to be a place in which we encounter the Lord because he said we would encounter him there and to deepen our connection and our communion, there's the name again, with him, our fellowship with him. Just as baptism, in baptism, the Father connects us to Christ. When we come to this meal, we are nourished by Christ as a gift from the Father. And that brings me to the third thing that Paul wants to emphasize in this passage. That sharing in the body and blood of Jesus is expressed in a transformed way of relating to other people in Christ. Okay, that this connection to Christ in this meal is expressed in a transformed way of relating to others in Christ. And this is where we have to remember the context. Remember that communion was, it was done in a meal in a house as a part of their gathering together. And there were still these classes in Rome. There were slaves or in this church. There were slaves, there were the poor, and there were wealthy Romans who had converted. And the wealthy Romans who were converted brought their food and their resources and they enjoyed this meal. And the poor maybe sat in the courtyard and didn't get anything. And Paul says, guys, you haven't discerned the body of Christ. Because if you had these demographic divisions among you, you would be at pains to undo. You who had the resources would have been serving those who didn't have the resources. You would have been tuned into the fact that people were left out. But notice what Paul says, that if this transformation doesn't take place, it invalidates the meal. He says, it is not the Lord's Supper that you are partaking of. It's not the Lord's Supper. Because if it were the Lord's Supper, you would be, oh my goodness, my my brother and sister, they're left out. How shall we include them? Paul's language of discernment here 
has nothing to do with our theology of what we believe about what's up here, about what we believe about the particular elements. His preoccupation in this passage of Scripture is how we treat one another. And he says, if your relationship with God hasn't transformed the way you relate to the people in the body of Christ, then there's something that has broken down. There's something that has broken down in your relationship with him. Paul is connecting, and this is so important for understanding this whole passage, for Paul, discerning the body and blood of Jesus is so connected to the way I relate to others. And let me just apply it this way. Maybe there's someone in church you just don't like. If you're not willing to have your heart changed about that and to try to take steps to see that change take place, it's not the Lord's Supper you're partaking of. If there's unforgiveness in you towards somebody in the body, it's not the Lord's Supper you're partaking of. If your life is not somehow being more and more opened up to and interactive with the people with which you take communion, there may be a problem with the way the Lord's Supper is happening in your life. Does this make sense? This is where Paul digs down deep. For him, God has shown us the supremest hospitality at this table. And if that hospitality doesn't extend from me to another person who's not like me, who's different than me, whom I'm learning to welcome and befriend, then something has broken down. All right, it's very much like what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer and other places. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. All right, if that forgiveness isn't being passed on, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're partaking of. Does this hit us where we live? For Paul, one of the most robust theological virtues is hospitality because this is divine hospitality. And we learn to extend it more and more to people who are very different from us. Amen? Because there could be nothing more different from God than us. And he has extended supreme hospitality. Finally, communion requires self-examination. Now, I want to be careful on this one. Paul says, some commentators believe, that Paul suggests that there's some sicknesses that are taking place in the Corinthian community that are a result of them partaking of communion unworthily. Okay? He doesn't say all sicknesses. He doesn't... But he does seem to suggest that because there are people going to church, having a big old time, and there are other people who are left out and hungry that some people in the community are sick because of it. He says we should come to this table and realize this is a divine thing. And God will not uh, allow us to treat it frivolously. But remember when I said that the communion table is not something we achieve. So what does Paul mean by examining ourselves? And what does he mean by partaking of it worthily? Again, it doesn't mean earning it. It It means, I think living in response to it. Okay, it's just like the, the classic debate among Christians, are works or faith? Well, we believe in the gospel, and because we believe in this incredible gift of God through Jesus Christ, works flow from it. 
It's a response of faith to what we have received. Amen? And Paul wants to say, examine yourself. You have received this gift at this table. Is that gift being passed on? If it's not, adjust by the grace of God. Take steps, change. So he's not saying, make yourself worthy of the table. He's saying, if you come to this table, come with the intention that your life, through the way you relate to other people in the body of Christ, more and more reflects the hospitality you receive at this table. Amen? This is what he means by examining the faith. And by the way, one of the reasons to have people in your home is because it's an extension of the hospitality we receive here. Amen? I mean, Jesus' ministry begins by going to parties and hosting parties. And going to parties with unsavory people. And getting the reputation that results in that. And every meal of the people of God with one another should be an extension of the hospitality we receive at this table. And it should more and more come to reflect the hospitality that we see in Christ. So, partaking of this table worthily means living in response to the grace that we receive at this table. Learning to forgive. Learning to extend the welcome that we find at this table to other people. Learning to extend the kindness that we find extended to us at this table to other people. And if you've failed, well, a lot of people have. Every time we gather, there's people who failed. You know what? Confess it. Repent. And through his grace, adjust and partake of the grace that comes at this meal. Amen? So Paul wants us to be serious about our partaking, but he doesn't want us to stop and examine our theology of what we believe goes on here. He doesn't want us to stop and think, am I morally good enough? He does want us to be aware of any sin we're aware of and repent. But more than anything, he wants us to extend the significance of this meal into our relating to other people by his grace. Amen? So we're going to come to the Lord's table. I'm going to pray. Why don't we just take a few minutes as we prepare um, and just examine our hearts in that fashion and determine by his grace to take steps, whether it's inviting somebody to dinner, whether it's greeting someone, whether it is letting go of the wall that you've put up with that person because you don't like them or you don't like their mannerisms or their personality or whatever it is, putting that before the Lord and saying, God, you've accepted them. How dare I not accept them? Amen. So let's just take a few minutes where you are and uh, examine your hearts.